podcast has bad words. <laughs> All right, and here we are. Before we dive into our surprise questions today, Sean has some pulled up for us. And before we talk about the rules for living with less, I want to talk about a couple things. Uh, during this break here, uh, we were talking to MJ. We're, we're here with MJ Gordon, by the way. Uh, you can find her at mj-gordon.com. We'll also put a link to her YouTube channel in the show notes. Um, we do this segment called More About Less. So I want to read this article that we started during the last segment. Um, the article, article from James Clear called Five Ways to Overcome Decision Fatigue and Boost Willpower. But before we do that, we were talking to MJ about uh, I got rid of some of my favorite items. And uh, you talked about why why do we have fear around that and is there some sort of identity crisis can you can you expand on your question because i found this fascinating oh i just found you know our last question that we were answering there was this you know, analysis paralysis like i really want to do something but feel like i can't mm. so i feel like what i've found causes the most paralysis at least in my life is when our identity is somehow tied to it. We tie our identities to our relationships, to our job, maybe to the things that we own. And when we feel like, I gotta let it go, I see the benefits, but I can't seem to, I often wonder, well, what, it is, what is it about those things that make us feel like we might be giving up a part of ourselves? And that's why it makes it so difficult. Yeah. I think quite often we, we I know I've done this, and I especially did it throughout my 20s, and I would have continued to do it had I not started asking some questions about who's the person I want to become and mm -hmm. why have I given so much meaning to these material possessions. And, and yes, our identity tends to get wrapped up in the external world as opposed to what's going on inside. And so uh, I think that's unfortunate because also what happens is our, our material clutter is a material, physical manifestation of what's going on inside us. And so we often have to deal with the external clutter to start looking inward and saying, okay, what's going on in here? Who am I? Uh, what's the, the Rob Bell parable he, he talks about sometimes when he said, um, uh, uh, there is, was it a, a rabbi or a priest who's at the, the, the walls of, of Rome and he arrives and, mm. and the guard there says, uh, uh, who are you? Why are you here? Yeah, uh, yeah. Who are you? Why are you here? Yeah. And and the, the the rabbi goes, "What did you just say to me?" And the guard goes, "Who are you? And why are you here?" And the rabbi goes, "How much are they paying you?" <laughs> and he's like, "You know, whatever, hundred dollars a day." And he's like, "I'll pay you twice that if you come to my house every morning and ask me those two questions." <laughs> And I think it's so important because we yeah. don't ask like, who are you and why are you here? Mm. And, and, and so what do we do? We fill the void with, with trinkets, with, with widgets, with, with shiny things. Mm. Um, we are, we're attracted to, as we were talking about earlier, like, oh yeah, look, the Rolex in the ad or the Lexus or whatever it is. They're just things. And, and it's okay to have things. It's okay to have nice things. But why do I have, why do I need the Lexus instead of the Toyota? I need to ask myself that. Yeah. And maybe there's a compelling enough reason to justify spending more money on it. For me, there isn't personally. And I've owned both. I, I, I've had Lexuses before. Um, and I, I don't need it. I'm fine with the Toyota I have now. 
And and I've realized that it gets me from point A to point B relatively comfortably uh, without any of the, the excess. I, I have abundance, but I don't have overabundance. Mm-hmm. And, and I think uh, that's the, the difference here. Anyway, I wanted to talk about decision fatigue because it's something that uh and so we've we've got our more more about less segment here we've got this article from james clear and uh, he says do you suffer from decision fatigue we'll put a link to this full article in the show notes i'm only going to read parts of it decision fatigue happens every day in your life if you have a particularly decision heavy day at work then you'll probably come home feeling drained you might want to go to the gym and work out but your brain would rather default to the easy decision, sit on the couch. <laughs> I know that happens to me where it's like, ah, oh, it's been such a rough day and I've used up all my decisions. I don't even think about it that way. I'm just like, I want to veg out. And yeah. and it's because I've I've reached that, that sort of peak of, of decision. I have experienced decision fatigue. The same is true if you find it hard to muster up the willpower to work on your side business at night or to cook a healthy meal for dinner. And while decision fatigue is something that we all deal with, there are a few ways that you can organize your life and design your day to master your willpower. And these are the five ways to overcome decision fatigue and boost willpower. Number one, plan daily decisions the night before. This is something I should probably do more frequently. Uh, I have some routines that are already set up that are sort of pre-planned, but I think it would make sense the night before to to plan some decisions. So here's what James says. There will always be decisions that pop up each day that you can't plan for. That's fine. It's just part of life. But for most of us, the the decisions that drain us are the ones that we make over and over and over again, wasting precious willpower on these decisions, which could be automated or planned in advance, is one reason many people feel so drained at the end of the day. For example, decisions like, what am I going to wear to work? What should I eat for breakfast? Should I go to the dry cleaner before or after work? And so on. All of those examples above can be decided in three minutes or less the night before, which means you won't be wasting your willpower on those decisions the next day. Taking time to plan, simplify, and design the repeated daily decisions will give you more mental space to make the important decisions each day. I know, Ryan, you, you wear pretty much a uniform every day, and I'm, I'm pretty close to that. Yeah. My decision is like, uh, is it long sleeve or short sleeve? <laughs> but um, even that is a decision. You know, I've seen some pretty credible studies that say we have, you know, while we make thousands of decisions every day, we're able to, to make, I think it's 140, 150 good decisions each day. Like mm. Give our, our sort of mind power over to that. And you, you see people from Mark Zuckerberg to President Obama, where they wear the same thing every day. It's, it's not because they're making some sort of trendy style statement. They're saying, I want to eliminate, I want to eliminate that one decision. MJ, are there, wa- uh, are there any ways you've eliminated some decisions in your life that you've sort of automated the, these decisions? Yeah, totally. Um, for me, the process starts with what I call identifying the elements, the elements that are going to bring me the variables that make me happy and most fulfilled. Mm. So for clothes, it would be comfort. I like diversity, but I also don't like the decision fatigue. So I want to be able to close my eyes, pick things out, and then have them just go together. Okay. And so my decision comes down to, is it cold? Is it hot? What am I doing today? And so if I'm going to go to the gym, I just pick out the gym shorts 
store. So if it's cold, I just pick out the jacket and there's only one, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But knowing what those elements are that are necessary to make you happy, I think is what eliminates all of the fear or the conflict over what, what the right choice is. Mm. And when I look at my, my closet of yesteryear, I often had a lot... I purchased a lot of things aspirationally. Like uh, it looked good on the mannequin, or it looked good in the yeah, now it's the Instagram ad or yeah. whatever. <laughs> as opposed to, is this appropriate for me? Mm. And and I think that that question of what is appropriate is a much better question for me than do I like this thing? Because of course I like it. I like everything. You're able to get me excited. In fact, excitement is a reason to not do something quite often, right? Mm -hmm. If you're just excited about purchasing the thing, pause, take the 30-30 rule. For us, the 30-30 rule is if something costs more than $30, I wait 30 hours. So it gives me a day to say, okay, do I really need this? If it's more than a hundred bucks, I try to wait 30 days. And, and, and it gives me that time to pause. Uh, another thing that we we sometimes talk about is step zero is do nothing. And so before the action, before all, uh, doing everything and, and, and putting the plan in place, step zero, do nothing. Just pause and say, okay, uh, I don't have to do anything right now. I don't have to acquire this thing. I don't have to own this thing. I don't have to bring it into my life. I don't have to do anything. So step one, once I get to it, I will I will be a little bit more intentional because I took that moment to to pause. We had uh, number two here. Do the most important thing first. If there was the most important court case in the world, when would you want the judge to hear it? Based on the research, you'd want him to hear it first thing in the morning. You'd want their best decision, energy, and focus to go toward the decisions that were most important. That's true. I find... Often though, I, I, I'll do the things that are easy. Like, ah, just I'm gonna put off the hard thing, even though the mm. hard thing is generally not as hard as I <laughs> thought it was going to be. And so I'll I'll do all the sort of menial tasks uh, to get them off my to do list, and then I'll finally get I'll be stressed out about the hard thing all day, and it's. 5 or 6 p.m. now, I get around to it, and it takes me seven minutes to do it. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I just worried about this thing all day. I could have taken seven minutes at 8 o'clock this morning and just gotten this off my list. Or it might have taken you three and a half minutes if you'd have done it first thing. Right. <laughs> right, because I'm, I'm, I don't right. have the fatigue that has been right. building up all day. What, yeah. a, what a great point. So, yeah, do the, first, uh, do the most important thing first. Number three, we already touched on. Stop making decisions. Start making commitments. Scheduling those commitments is important. Um, and he, at the end of this, he says, if you sit back and hope that you'll be able to make the right decisions each day, then you will certainly fall victim to decision fatigue and a lack of willpower. And so scheduling it helps you sort of eliminate that. Number four, if you have to make good decisions later in the day, then eat something first. I don't know if I necessarily agree with this. I, I think it, this is maybe person specific. Uh, here's what he says, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you both about this. It's no coincidence that the judges become became better decision makers after uh, after eating. Now, if you cram French fries into your face every day, then I doubt you'll enjoy the same results. But taking a break to feed your brain is a wonderful way to boost willpower. This is especially important because although it's great to do the most important thing first, it's not always possible to organize your day like that. When you want to get better decisions from your mind, put better food 
into your body. I, I certainly agree with that, feeding yourself. I also often find that I make some of the best, I, I have the most mental clarity when I fast. Mm. And so anyone who has experienced prolonged fasting, like I've, I haven't eaten in uh, close to 20 hours right now, and I tend to make better decisions and, and, and be more clear mentally without eating. Now, I think that's different for each of us. Yeah. I know I've uh, I've dated people. Uh, I remember remember Austin. I was dating Austin. Yeah, she's she is amazing, um, but she would get hangry. Oh yeah, and like you could tell, like her whole demeanor would just shift, mm. and she became a different person. It was almost like uh, remember Gremlins, mm-hmm. the, the the movie Grim. Like she was the opposite. It was like. If you don't feed her after midnight, then she'll get she'll turn into a gremlin. Uh, and, and otherwise, she was like just this cute, yeah. uh, um, uh, amazing person. But as soon as she got hangry, it was like the the, the switch flipped. Uh, yeah, I get the same. It's hard for me to make decisions when I'm hungry. Yeah, because it's all I can think about is food. And like every like it's not it doesn't happen all the time, but I mean, especially when I was like making a huge transition last year, like giving up sugar. I found out I was very close to type two diabetes. So I had to give up a lot of things. And, uh, when I would get to that hangry point, I couldn't think about anything but food and every little thing was so annoying. So yeah, I think you're right, man. It's probably perspectival with, with, yeah, with, with people and whether they should eat before they make decisions or not. Cause it's, yeah, I, I could not imagine going 20 hours and then being like, all right, I'm going to make all my important decisions right now after not eating for 20 hours. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's different for everyone. Yeah. My wife now, like, she she doesn't get hangry at all. Like, she, she'll say, yeah, I think I'm starting to get hungry. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, well, we should definitely. But, like, it, it's, you know, she's not going to turn into, like, some sort of bad decision maker. But, um, I, yeah, I think it depends on, on the person. MJ, for you, are you, uh, uh, you, do you make better decisions when you've eaten or I'm on a empty stuff? Person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number five is simplify, which, well, we could talk about that. We'll spend the rest of the episode talking about it. (laughs) Uh, Whether you're trying to reach the highest level of performance or just want to start eating a healthy diet, the biggest frustration for most people is the feeling that you need to use willpower on an hourly basis. Mm. So find ways to simplify your life. If something isn't important to you, eliminate it. Making decisions about unimportant things, even if you have the time to do so, isn't a benign task. It's pulling precious energy and willpower from the things that matter. Mm. I think that's so important. I think about all the stuff. If the average American household has 300,000 items in it, most of them are wildly unimportant, and they're getting in the way of the things that are important. When I say things, it might mean physical things, but it can mean the other things, the, the things that aren't things, our relationships, our creativity, our passions, our work life, our health, our exercise, whatever it might be, our things can get in the way of those things. And that makes for a chaotic life, uh, not just a cluttered life, but an out of control life in many ways. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about, I, I, so the first thing I ever saw uh, of yours, MJ, was a video you had called How to Become a Minimalist. And it was about getting started. And so that's why we wanted to have you on today to talk to folks about getting started. We've got a lot of questions to get to here in a moment. But uh, in that video, you talked about awareness and action and, and sort of two sides uh, of, of the coin there. Can you expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. You know, I think a lot of people say I can never be a minimalist or I'm not a minimalist. But then I find them saying, 
very intentional things about what they do and what they have. And so I think the first most important step to the idea of becoming a minimalist is remove yourself from what you think defines a minimalist and rather focus the attention towards being intentional Mm. about deciding what adds value in your life, what you choose to keep in your life and what you choose to let go of because the outcome is gonna look so different for everybody. So true. So when you have that awareness and it comes with the self-awareness first, right? We talked a lot about identity, who I am, getting past that fear. That's really the first step is trying to identify who you want to become and what it is you're trying to move away from the things that aren't serving you currently. You've already taken the first step to becoming a minimalist. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And and then once you have that awareness, it, action is important. We we were we were talking earlier about about uh, loosening your grip before you can let go, but eventually you do actually have to take some action. You can aspire all day, but but uh, aspiration without perspiration is failure. Right. Yeah. Ooh, that's pithy, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> and then, well, when we hold on so tightly to this version that we want to become, it can scare us to take action in the sense that, well, we feel like we're not going to be able to live up to what that, that version is. Of, of minimalism we want like that you know with Carmen with her question she might be scared to take action because you know her her version of minimalism is like oh well I'm gonna have to own only 50 things I know that's not her version but if that's what she has in her head like that's scary like how is she gonna get to 50 things well the beautiful thing is is like minimalism uh you don't have to own just a certain number of things it is about deciding what you want to move towards and start making steps towards what you want to become and i couldn't agree with you more like you nailed it like what i thought minimalism was when i first went down the journey it is it is nothing now than than what my my uh, what i had anticipated or what i had expected yeah we often think of the the sort of external you know the the stark white walls and that's mm -hmm. fine you can have all of that but but what it really allows you to do is identify what the benefits are. Yeah, the purpose of simplifying has to do with the benefits we experience after the decluttering. Yeah, you can clear out your closet and that's great, but if you don't know why you're doing it, then a month later, six months later, you're gonna be in the same position or maybe even worse if you don't learn the lesson. Oh yeah, like I, I can only imagine if I was like, I'm gonna do what Colin Wright did. I'm gonna pare my things down to 50 things and then I'm going to start traveling. Like I would have been miserable. Right, because you that's not the life you wanted to lead. If right. you, but if you thought, thought, well, that's the template, then it's it's not really going to help you. Now, speaking of taking action, MJ, you have a decluttering checklist. Can we talk about I that? <laughs> we'll put a link to it in the show notes, by the way, as well. Um, I wanted to give people an idea of where to start. And for me, it's more of a personal reflection process first. I love every, like, you know, the packing party is awesome. And, um, you know, the 30 day challenge is awesome. But like you said, if you don't have any idea why you're doing it, you end up revolving the same cycle again. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes it's more painful. So identifying first, what is it that we want? Who am I and what's gonna get me there? You know, Mm -hmm. uh, I was just talking to Sean earlier. He said he's a mountain person. Uh I'm a beach person. (laughs) So I, you know, like California and Florida and Hawaii. Mm -hmm. But um, if you know those things about yourself, then you can really identify the things that are going to contribute to those aspects of how you want to live life. So when you create this checklist, you're creating a customized checklist for yourself that helps you identify what those things are. And then you can go around your house and say, 
which categories they go in. Because we, I mean, we do those categories, right? I need this, I like this, I want this. But why do you like this? Mm. Why do you want this? Why do you struggle with this? If you can get down to that route, I find that it's much easier to not go through the cycle over and over and over again. Mm. Yes, indeed. We've got some questions here, uh, some surprise questions. First one is from Shane. When starting out as a minimalist, should you focus first on external items, uh, for example, material goods, or internal issues? For example, reducing the number of negative people in your life, improving your health, eliminating mental clutter, reducing commitments, mm. etc. Yes, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, for me, it always starts with the stuff. I, I think, I think the 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 stuff is the initial bite at the apple that, that started to to make me question these other things. So we can go through these individually. Uh, the the material possessions are a physical manifestation of what's going on inside. So let's deal with the external clutter first. And I know you actually talked about that in in your video, MJ. This is it's 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 not easy to deal with these things, but it is simpler to deal with the 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 external clutter in our lives because there are some some measurable. You can you can almost turn it into to metrics in a way. We, I've gotten rid of the this pile of clothes today. Where you can't say I got rid of seven pounds of mental clutter today. It doesn't. It doesn't work as well. And I find for me that by being in a a calmer space, it does. At first, it's actually, man, it's almost anxiety producing in a way because then it's. Uh, have you ever done a deprivation tank? <laughs> Uh, like the deprivation of air? Uh, no, so um, the, the, you, you've done yeah, you've it's done like it a um, it's a float tank. Uh-uh. Yeah, it looks like this pod, like this big pod that can fit a human or two humans in there, and it's salt water, and it's like right at you know ninety something degrees, like right where your body temperature is, and you literally sit there and you you try to let go and you try to like meditate, and it is this very amazing experience once you can let go. But like that's the hardest part of the whole thing. Yeah. So, so a, sen- a sensory deprivation tank. It, it literally, it's it's pitch black, right? Yeah. It's uh, it's silent. Yeah. There's there's no sound, and you're floating in the water, and because it's salt water, you're buoyant, so you can't really tell you're in water. It's almost it feel because it's pitch black. It feels like you're floating in space. Oh. It's the same temperature as your skin, so you can't feel the water on your skin. So it feels. Like there were times where the first time I did it, I really thought like I started to panic because I'm like, I I think I might actually be in space right now. (laughs) Um, Like you feel like you're floating. And once you turn down all of the stimuli, like literally the 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 sounds, the the just everything, the the sight, everything is turned down. The touch, kinesthetics is all turned down. All of a sudden, your mind is, you realize how loud your mind is because mm-hmm. uh, without that, your mind is loud all the time. But when, when, if you're, uh, if you're screaming in a Metallica concert, it's probably hard to hear. <laughs> but or actually, if you're whistling at a Metallica concert, it's impossible to hear. Yeah. But if you're whistling in an empty cave, all of a sudden, it's like, someone turn that sound down. Yeah. yeah. And, but when it's just your mind, and I found for me the first time I did it, you do it in an hour usually the, the first time, at around the 50-minute mark, <laughs> yeah, my mind started to slowly turn down. Yeah. And, and I found this is also true when I started to simplify my life, and my house was less cluttered. I had fewer things. Ryan, in our book, Everything That Remains, we, we, we talked about the sound of minimalism, I think is the, the name of the, the sixth chapter. Um, 
where Ryan, after his packing party, like his house had a different echo in it. Even yeah. your house <laughs> yeah. sounds different. And but when once you've removed the sort of pacifiers from your life, then the anxiety might seem like it's turned up, but it was actually there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Now you're finally confronting it. Yeah. And so I, I find that dealing with the external things, and we'll put a link to the decluttering checklist. So Shane, you can definitely use that. But I mean, you talk about reducing the number of negative people in your life. Yeah, that's something you'll definitely want to do. But you might also find out that you might be the negative one. Mm or one of the negative ones. And so identifying that relationship with yourself and improving the relationship with yourself is something that's important. Improving your health is health is obviously important. If you don't have health, you don't have anything. Health is, is wealth. Uh, eliminating the mental clutter, whether it's through meditation or yoga or breath work or self-care, there are a lot of things that you can do to eliminate mental clutter. Uh, reducing commitments. Yeah, I, I think you want to reduce your commitments, but also commit to the right things mm-hmm. as well. The, the best way to reduce your commitments is make sure you're committed to to, to the right things. Amen. What would you say to Shane, MJ? Uh, obviously, I know you talk about dealing with the, the external clutter first. Do you have any uh, practical tips for him? Yeah, I mean, I'm on the same page with you. I, I like having people declutter first their possessions because you get kind of that immediate... Uh, experience for you you said it's kind of the anxiety turns up for me it's a little bit oh, mm. wow this is cool but um, I think probably the most important thing too is like you said fulfilling the space and it seems a little backwards but filling it with the things that are actually important to you mm. filling it with something that's going to give you that positive reinforcement so that you see what the space is all about. Some people are sitting there like, well, I'm here now and this is really boring Uh or scary, you Mm. know? Well, what are you gonna do with this space? (laughs) What are you gonna do with your time now? That's the most important thing. And and, and not just filling it arbitrarily. Right. I think too often that's, I I know I had a a giant suburban house uh, that I built uh, back in Dayton, uh, uh, a suburb of Dayton and because I had so much space, I had a two and a half car garage. I don't even know what the hell that means. <laughs> what the hell is a half car? <laughs> <laughs> a motorcycle, a small Fiat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really what they're saying is like, uh, you have uh, 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 some storage space, right? Yeah. But I felt compelled to fill that. We had an attic, I felt compelled to fill that. Uh, we had a base, a full basement, felt compelled to fill that. Mm. We had a living room and an entertainment room, felt compelled to fill both of those had uh, three bedrooms. There were only two of us, and we slept in the same bedroom, (laughs) but I had to fill the other bedrooms with stuff, and Mm. those bedrooms had closets, so I had to fill the closets with stuff, and then we had dressers in our bedroom I had to fill with stuff, and we just feel compelled to fill the space with stuff. And So realize, you are complete already in an empty room. The things you bring into the space should augment and enhance that experience yeah. of the space. And so you don't need anything there. Don't feel compelled to fill it arbitrarily just because you have the space. But if you're going to fill it with something, make sure it's something that adds value to your life, Shane. Yeah. Yeah, I think with anyone, the external is what brings people to minimalism. I know that's what brought you to minimalism. It's what brought me to minimalism. It's what brought you, MJ, to minimalism. Uh, if you already have a simplified you know, home and you're coming at minimalism because you do have all this, you know, internal clutter you need to get, you need to get rid of, then I would say congratulations. Like you are like a step ahead of where Josh and I were. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you both. The external clutter is probably the place to start because it is the most, 
instant gratification. It's the easiest instant gratification you can get from simplifying. And that, you know, that is important sometimes with the packing party. I mean, that's why I did that. It was this instantaneous gratification that was able to help me change my perspective. And on, get momentum too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, Kay writes in, when I speak of consuming less because it's mostly crap. <laughs> she has that in quotes, by the way. She has consuming less in... in now, who are you well, quoting when you say consuming less? I think she's I think she's uh, quoting herself. When I speak of consuming less because it's mostly crap, people attack me and say I'm a hypocrite because I own a phone or a laptop. Well, you are a hypocrite. You, you can't own a phone and a laptop no. and be a minimalist. They seem to equate minimalism with consuming less with owning absolutely nothing. Uh, well, if you're... If you're calling other people's stuff crap, I mean, that's the whole George Carlin thing, right? Yeah. I my, my stuff is stuff. Your stuff is shit. <laughs> Why is all your shit in the way of my stuff? <laughs> right. But like, if that's how you are approaching people, of course, they're going to be defensive. If you're calling other people's things crap. Yeah. And, and so I, I think what she's saying is, is yeah, I, she has people she feels attacked. And, and so, mm, yeah, yeah, there might be people around you who are judging you, but re realize that judgment is just a mirror that reflects the insecurities of the person who's doing the judging. So if if there are people in your life, they're probably people you care about and they care about you, but they they might be afraid to lose you. They might be afraid to say, well, if, if, if Kay is simplifying her life, mm. then... Uh, what does that mean for me? Am I going to lose her? Or am I going to be forced to let go of things that I care about? Is Kay judging me? Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. And so I think there's some things you can do to put them at ease. Yeah, I think the people around you can say, hey, look, I'm not judging you. I certainly don't expect you to simplify your, your life or, or get rid of the things that I'm getting rid of. These are things that don't add value to my life. I fully respect that they might add value to your life. And if they do, you definitely shouldn't get rid of them. If, if you're yeah. getting immense value from your things... Who am I to say it's yeah. crap? It's it's definitely not. It sounds like Kay's got to change her language a little bit when she's talking to people. So like for me, when I'm having the conversation about minimalism, I don't even talk in third person. Well, most of the things in people's lives is crap and they need to get rid of mo It's I. Most of the things in my life mm -hmm. were crap and I needed a mechanism. I needed a philosophy to help me to get rid of that junk. And if you can, you know, turn all of the, the negative things that you're saying uh, and put it on yourself instead of putting it on someone else. The worst thing you can do is say, well, you know, look at your life. You have a lot of crap in your life. I mean, that's the worst thing you can do. Going from that to third person, uh, that maybe that's a little bit, you know, a little bit less obtrusive, but still, if you're talking to someone, they're going to think you're talking about them. They're going to start judging themselves. Mm -hmm. But if you can put it directly back on yourself, that is going to help people understand that, you know, it's something that you're doing for yourself, Kay. This isn't, you're not, you know, trying to proselytize, you're not trying to change people's lives, you're trying to change your life. And I think that is where people will start to respect you more and stop, you know, thinking that, that you're judging them. Because yeah, that was the biggest thing. Even when I did put it on myself, people still thought I was judging them. And yeah, you just have to go out of your way to help people see that like, hey, this is a judgment on myself. This isn't a judgment on you also realize you can surround yourself with new people too uh, sure. you can't change the people around you but you can change the people around you and and, and you can find other empowering relationships uh, and, and so if other people are offended by you, you know, what, what's there's a saying there, there's like an old maxim or apathom I don't forget where I got this from but um, uh, oh offense puts up a fence. 
<laughs> and I think that's true. When people are, are, I'm offended that you're getting rid of your stuff, that they're the one putting up a fence around your relationship. Mm-hmm. And it becomes, it becomes a- antagonistic in a way. And, and yeah, I think it's true. Ryan is absolutely right. You can use other language that's empowering. Uh, calling stuff crap is probably disempowering. Um, although it's empowering for you in a way, if you, if you realize like, I don't want this stuff anymore, it's just a bunch of crap, that, that's fine. You, you can have that internal dialogue. Uh, I would simply say, look, this isn't adding value to my life anymore. Mm-hmm. But if I find it a new home, maybe uh, someone else will get value from it. And and I think it's important to, to frame things that way. But if someone else is offended, realize that this you don't need to have a barrier between you. This isn't an argument. This isn't a, a challenge between you and someone else. Uh, you're on the same team. You both want each other to be happy. Now, MJ, have you found that there are some misconceptions here? Because that's what Kay's friends are finding. Like They're, they're saying, well, minimalism... They equate that to owning absolutely nothing. I'm sure you've you've come across this where people have some misconceptions about minimalism or simplifying. Totally, totally. I mean, I think minimalism has its own kind of weighted ideology that people sort of come up with. Um, but I try not to say, "Hey, I'm a minimalist," you know, right. and this yeah. is uh, this is my philosophy and what you should do. I still have to work on this myself because I really, you know, when I see somebody who's having trouble and I see a solution or a potential potential solution. I want to say, hey, have you you know thought of this? But I find that people are more receptive when you are interested in their perspective rather than dishing out yours. Amen. And so um, when you have that interest and you find like a, a natural sort of empathy or understanding for what they're going through, they kind of almost bring themselves to like, well, what do you do? You seem to have this figured out. That's the time you can say, well, this is my philosophy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because often when we talk about our own problems, yeah, people can just translate that a little bit differently. Like they start to like, wait a minute, do they have a problem with me? Yeah. Yeah. Instead, yeah, be more empathetic. That's a that's a great way to get people to kind of yeah get on your side a little bit more. Susan wants to know. I haven't. uh, Well, doesn't want to know. Just makes a statement here. I have extreme difficulty with magazines and catalogs and would love some tips on letting go. Yeah, so I used to have a bunch of magazines. I had a basement full of yeah. magazines. These are just- I, rem- I remember holding on to my magazines because you held on to your magazines. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Josh saves his, all of his GQs. I'm going to save okay. yeah, I'm going to save my GQs because because that's what that's what the cool kids do. It, weird MJ like, in in a way like it's like I was hoarding a stack of advertisements really. I mean that's that's what's going on with these magazines. A lot of them are just like, "Oh, I'll have a bin full of a bunch of advertisements." Now, I had to ask myself why was I holding on to this and the story I told myself was all for reference. Mm-hmm. What? Reference yeah. what? And, and guess what? They're all online now, yeah. by the way. Uh, it was uh, the beginning of the month recently, and, and so I made my monthly trip to the Goodwill, and I was donating some books. So I uh, didn't have any magazines or catalogs. I just recycled those. I, they still show up in the mail sometimes. The only magazine I subscribed to was The New Yorker, and... I'm on all the do not disturb lists, but somehow stuff still shows up at, at my house occasionally. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, as soon as I finish reading a magazine, the, the New Yorker, so that's one way. Oh, first, first tip, bring fewer magazines, books, catalogs into your life. Yeah. You'll have fewer to declutter. And uh, with letting go of books, I, 
I it's easy for me because I have two bookshelves. Uh, they're very small bookshelves. You you can see them in the home tour that that we did. Uh, Shani put a link to that in the show notes. But uh, once it gets full, then I so I, they probably fit about sixty books. And and so once it gets full, I have to like I bring a new new book in. I have to get rid of an old one. And so I, I keep the ones that are genuinely for reference. So quite a few writing books that I have that I go back and look at repeatedly. Um, or some of my favorite novels from uh, David Foster Wallace that I read all the time, uh, and uh, Jonathan Franzen, Mary Carr, I have all of her books. I absolutely love her writing and reference it quite a bit. So I'll go back to that. But I also realize most of the books I bring into my life, I'm not going to read more than once. And honestly, if you look at the stats, most of the books we bring into our life, we're not even going to read once. Yeah. They're aspirational purchases, and they, they don't end up there. Do you have any tips for magazines, catalogs, books, those, those types of things? Well, we are in the digital age, mm. and so that just hands down changed my life. I, any of my favorite books I've converted to digital. Um, there's the library we really heavily utilize. I mean, it's there. We pay for it with taxes. Um, you can also ask friends if you see books that you see there. Do you like this? Do you have it? Can I borrow this? Um, but similar to you, I have reference books, you know, anatomy books, um, things that are much easier to deal with when you flip through. Um, and also, like you, I have a bookshelf. It's got one shelf full of books. And if it gets full... I got to either donate, you know, give gift. And, uh, you know, if I want another book, that's the rule that I have for myself. Yeah, the, the library thing is is fascinating because depending on where you live, by the way, you can get all of our books at the library if you can't afford to buy one of our books or audio book or whatever. But now libraries, they will often do ebooks and audio books, a lot yes. of them now too. Yes. So you, you're not even relegated to the print book. Although if you like print books and you prefer the tactile experience, great. You can go to the library, you can check out a book and then you get to return it so it doesn't clutter up your space and how beautiful is that? Now, also with uh, with ebooks, the thing that I really like about ebooks, I, I use Kindle personally. Um, I'm able to go back and forth between the audiobook version and the reading version. And I replaced my Instagram app on my phone with the, the Kindle app. And so anytime I'm standing in line now, instead of mindlessly sc- scrolling through through Instagram, I am now, I, I just opened the Kindle app and I'm reading as I'm waiting for my burrito at Chipotle. Yeah. And I, I can spend five minutes just reading a book and five minutes here, five minutes there, it adds up. I just finished a, a great book uh, yesterday called um, Hillbilly Elegy. A uh, guy who grew up where, where close to where Ryan and I grew up. It was a phenomenal book. And uh, I finished it in small chunks like that where I'm reading five minutes here, five minutes there, and then I get to highlight the passages. And here's the beautiful thing. Uh, Bex wasn't reading at the time, but I, I, now I have all the, the highlighted passages and you can just select it. And whether it's on my phone or my Kindle or, or the audio version, um, I, I now have all these highlights that I can go back and say, oh, yeah, here are the parts that stood out to me. Let's uh, have a discussion about these. It also helps me retain some of the information because we've talked recently about how books don't work. There's a weird uh, study that kind of talks about how if you just read a book but don't take any sort of action to write things down, you you lose over 90% of the information. That's understandable, but there are some things that you can do, like highlighting passages, going back and reading those passages afterward that helps you retain at least half the information. So is there a bookmark feature now between the audio and the, electri- and the e-book version? Because yes. that's the biggest thing that I had going back and forth 
is there is there a bookmark yeah, feature now. It's, it's called oh, Whisper Sync. Oh my god, that's genius. Yeah, <laughs> I had no idea. But there's also a bookmark <clears throat> section on the audiobook is on Audible as well. And so. it'll and it'll transfer back to the ebook. Yeah. That is genius. Yeah. That's awesome. Um well the one thing we're talking about here Susan is the one thing in common is is a, we you need to come up with rules for yourself. So what is the number of magazines you're willing to bring in your life? For me it's 0 and that's okay. Uh, that that's the rule for me. What's your rule? Maybe it's one. Maybe it's two. Um, h- how, what are you willing to hold on to? Get a bookshelf. Uh, just find a space that you're willing to fill up with magazines. And once that's filled, you're going to have to make a decision with either the current ones you have or the new ones you're bringing into your life. So yeah, I totally agree with you too. I mean, we got to come up with rules and follow them. That's that's what minimalism is about. It's about coming up with these rules that help us to live a more deliberate life. And Susan, what are those rules for you? No yeah. rules will uh, it'll drive you crazy. Here are a few things that you can do to avoid bringing new books, catalogs, and magazines into your life. First off, go to day 15 on our website. It's theminimalists.com slash day15. And we talk about digitizing and, and removing the junk mail. So that there are a couple uh, of, of websites you can go to. You can sign up so that you can remove 90 plus percent of the junk mail that comes to your house all those stupid catalogs that you get and if that doesn't work that what will eliminate the other 10 percent is an app that uh i think it was amy ann cadwell told us about she's from the goodtrade.com she was on the podcast not that long ago uh that i've been using i have to pay for it. i think it's a dollar 99 a month but it's worth it to me it's called paper karma and so anytime i get a piece of junk mail i just take a uh, I open up my phone snap a photo of it and it says, was this from you know, Chase Bank or whoever, whoever's trying to send me credit card oh, offers? Yeah. And it unsubscribes you from that that mailing. And so awesome. I've been using Paper Karma every time I go get the mail. And each week, I have a couple less things. Now, I used to get <laughs> stacks of just junk mail mm. from past tenants and everything else. But if you go to day 15 on our website, you can sign up for the uh, the Do Not Disturb mailing list, basically, and then you use Paper Karma. And the one thing that Derek Sivers does, which you talked about, MJ, earlier, uh, I got this tip from him, was uh, anytime you want to buy a book, put it on your Amazon wish list. Or um, you, in, I still choose to support my local bookstore. Uh, we have a, a great bookshop called Book Soup that is like two blocks from where I live. And so uh, Ella and I, or Bex and I, will go there and we'll just read books together and we'll buy books there. But I'll put a book on my Amazon wish list and I won't buy it until I'm finished with the book I just finished. So literally yesterday I finished a book and now it's time for me to go to that wish list and figure out what is the next book I'm going to buy as opposed to buying 17 new books at once. And so one book at a time, bring it in slowly, and if I'm going to buy a physical book, I try to support the, the local bookshop. If I'm going to buy it from Kindle, well, then obviously I buy it from Amazon. So those are some, some basic tips to bring fewer things in. Oh, and catalogs. Don't do catalogs. They're giant advertisements. <laughs> That's all they are. It, it's, it's simply, actually, no, it's not. It's a promotion. Imagine uh, if you could just like record commercials. Right. And you just had like a DVD or like a, you know an MP3 a file on your computer with just commercials <laughs> that you saved. 
<laughs> DVRing a bunch of commercials. Right. Like, are you just gonna, are you going to go back and just watch commercials? Yeah. yeah. I, I should be clear. It's not technically an advertisement. It is a promotion. Uh, I do like to make that a distinction uh, because it is generally catalogs. Like, if you get a catalog from, I don't know, Restoration Hardware or something, they're they aren't an, it's they're promoting their own brand they're not they're not advertising somewhere there is a, a distinction and i think advertisements suck i think promotions can be okay but well i think promotions suck if you just have a catalog of promotions right <laughs> i mean it's yeah right. and, unless you're seeking it out like if for some reason you were like you know what i really need to buy some furniture i'm going to go to restoration hardware and get their catalog yeah then that's great, but don't but, let it tempt you by showing up in your inbox. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, like I want yeah, I need some furniture. I like restoration hardware, so I'm gonna be informed on what they have. But exactly. then to hang on to all that information and to, to reference it one day is um yeah, that's a little silly. All right. Uh Adeline wants to know, Josh, what are similarities and differences between your idea of minimalism and the Marie Kondo method? MJ? um i love marie kondo Uh like that stuff is amazing i see marie kondo as an organizer Uh Mm -hmm. um i do see a lot of minimalism in there and i do see a lot of intentionality in the feeling of stuff but i i think that you know if there's any difference it's probably just more of the focus to organization versus the focus of like what truly adds value and then organizing but Mm -hmm. i don't i don't really see them very different i think it's just application based on each individual totally agree i I think i think what we can get confused by is if we're if we're looking at the how-to side of things without the why-to side of things then we are simply organizing. Now, I know Marie Kondo, especially in her book, uh, Life-Changing Ma- Magic of Tidying Up, she does go into the why side of things. Her, her show was a bit more of the how side of things. Ryan and I did an entire podcast episode uh, just for our Patreon supporters, actually. So shout out to all the Patreon supporters. Thank you for supporting us. It was called yeah. The Life Tidy and Magic of Gentrification. Um, and we actually conflated a bunch of things and talked about them. It was a lot of fun. But what I will say is organizing is often well-planned hoarding. And organizing was actually one of my problems. If you would have come to my oversized suburban house a decade ago, it was really well-organized. But I was a well-organized hoarder. <laughs> I had probably the 300,000 items, and they were all in an ordinal system of boxes and bins, and they were very tidy. I had tidied up. But the problem was I still held on to everything. That's why I had a giant bin of GQ magazines <laughs> and restoration hardware catalogs in my basement is because I was organizing them really well. I was good at organizing without asking the question, why do I need this? Why am I holding on to this? Why am I not willing to let go? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think Marie Kondo works for some people. I mean, for me, yeah, it would just... The packing party was so much easier for me to get rid of stuff. Yeah. Where the Marie Kondo method, if you really want to put in like that much work to holding on to as much as possible, also letting go in the process, because I mean, she does have some letting go things in there, then then yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it is similar. Um, it is different from what Josh and I talk about, but you know, you choose your flavor, you choose your process that you want to do. I mean, Josh and I, as long as you're doing something, um, Josh and I and MJ are happy for you. The, the thing I'm most happy about with Marie Kondo is she's had a lot of people start to question the things in her life. Yeah. And I think that's that's beautiful, whether it's through her book or her show um, or you know, social media or whatever. She's had people start to question the things in their life. And you get to determine 
what ultimately serves a purpose, what has a function in your life, what brings you joy, and then what is in the way. Christian writes in, how do you go about prioritizing what to do with your time? Or should you even prioritize? Man, I think prioritizing time, say that five times fast. I think that, I think that's important. I mean, for me, uh, when I was faced with all that stuff after the packing party, it actually helped me see how I was prioritizing my time because I would tell myself these lies like, Oh, Ryan, you're going to like make a bunch of money. You're going to save a bunch of, a bunch of money in a 401k and you're going to retire at 50 years old. But then like when I looked at all the stuff I had, I'm like, wait a minute, I have hardly anything in my savings and here are tens of thousands of dollars sitting in my living room that could be in my, my, my savings account that instead I have spent on crap. (laughs) It's my crap. So I can call it crap. (laughs) Um, but getting clear on what your priorities are like that is definitely step number one. So, uh, Christian, yes, you should prioritize your time. And the way that you, you get to that point of understanding what to prioritize is you have to figure out what is important in your life. So Josh and I talk a lot about values, beliefs. Um, do you know what your values are? Are you clear on what your beliefs are? Like once you can get clear on those things, then you can start looking at your calendar. You can start looking at your day-to-day activities and prioritizing your time around that. Um, what, what, what kind of tips you got, MJ? Oh, time. <laughs> yeah, it's our most valuable asset. Amen. I mean, of anything, it, it, when it comes down to stuff, when it comes down to what we spend our energy or money on, it comes down to time, mm-hmm. right? We have to use that time to accumulate money, to buy the stuff, and then to deal with the stuff. So I think prioritizing time is at the top of my list. Um, when it comes to what we you know, what we have to give up resourcefully for our stuff. I think time is, is the biggest thing. So what, what kind of time are you looking at when it comes to what I have in my life? So for example, it's easy to say this adds value to my life. I want to learn to play the guitar. I want to read this book. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start a garden and then contribute all my time to this cause. But if you are spending more time than you have or more time than you need to also take care of the other things like your health and family and relationships, then all of a sudden it doesn't matter if all that stuff adds value. Your time is not used resourcefully. Yeah. It's funny. Like that's what really drove me towards minimalism. It was reclaiming my time because I was spending so many hours uh, just consuming, piling, uh, why I should say I spent so many more hours in order to consume more Mm -hmm. so I could afford more debt payments. And then when I found myself in this tornado of debt payments, I was like, oh, like it's because of these debt payments, I don't have time to do things that I want. So yeah, when I was able to finally get my time back, um, figuring out what to do with that time, it was it was important. What do you think, Millie? I think priorita- prioritizing is important if you're prioritizing the right things. Amen. If you prioritize everything, then you actually have no priority at all. Mm-hmm. That word priority was a singular until the 20th century, and we now have all of our priorities. <laughs> What is the UN's list of priorities? There's 163 of them, (laughs) which means they have no priority. Right. And the problem with that is priority literally means the first thing. Mm -hmm. And if you have 163 the first things, not only is that nonsense, 
but you don't have a first thing at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when you look at your priorities, maybe look at your priority. What is the first thing? Mm. And if you prioritize that, and then you can identify what is the second thing. Yeah. What is the third thing? And everything that you do should serve your priority. Drew has a question here. For someone who gets excited and appreciates new technology, phones, laptops, etc., but finds that excitement often leads to unnecessary purchases. How do I allow myself to appreciate technology without being driven to spending money? So Drew, you get excited about new technology. I get excited about plenty of things as well. Excitement for me is a warning sign to stop. Yeah. So totally. I, I think of a red octagon that says excited on it instead of <laughs> stop because really, what I'm what I'm realizing is if I get excited about something, I'm I'm allowing my emotions to take over, mm-hmm. and, and my EQ is taking over my IQ yeah. in a way where it doesn't. I, I'm I'm misprioritizing to to echo the previous question. I'm prioritizing my excitement over the value I may actually get from the thing in the long run. Our things are tools in our lives. Our lives. So if this technology is going to actually serve a purpose, then maybe some of the stopgap rules that we have, like the 30-30 rule, will really help you. If it's something over $100, what if you wait 30 days? And during those 30 days, you ask yourself that question, is this actually going to serve a purpose? And am I willing to part with the $1,000 that's going to cost to buy this new phone or $2,000 for this laptop? And what is, how else could I use that money? You know, Ryan and I have the five questions that you should ask before you make a new purchase. And one of the questions is, can I afford it? But if so, what are the true costs of this thing? Because it goes way beyond the cost of the item. It's going to cost me a piece of my freedom. I'm going to have to store the thing. I'm going to take care of the thing. I'm going to have to replace the thing and clean the thing. And I'm going to have to charge the thing. I'm going to have to worry about the thing. I'm going to have to put insurance on the thing and Apple Care. Like, well, there are all these other costs that aren't embedded in the price tag but are actually embedded in the purchase itself. And so how can you appreciate technology? Well, you don't have to own a thing to appreciate it. You go to museums, don't you? If you go to a museum, you see the Mona Lisa there. You don't have to own it to appreciate it. You don't have to own the iPhone to appreciate it. I think the new iPhone 11 looks beautiful. It looks like a piece of art. I don't need to own it. I, I don't think I'm going to own it unless something were to happen to my current phone. And even then, I, I would question whether or not I need to buy the, the latest and greatest thing. And so we have another rule. It's called the don't upgrade rule. And, and there are things you can do with your current technology. We'll put a link to the don't upgrade rule in, in the show notes. But that is another rule for living with less. Uh, refusing to upgrade just because of, of the hype. And so realize, uh, Drew, that many of these things are uh, they're being fed to you and they're being hyped by a marketing machine and demographers and statisticians who work really hard. Their main job is to extract the money from your checking account. Mm -hmm. And if you can let go of that money, then they've done their job. You might get a burst of excitement, but maybe the excitement is the problem. Yeah, I think hype is synonymous with excitement. And there's a healthy amount of excitement. Like you were talking about, like enjoying filling the space after it's empty. Like I still, uh, there are certain things, like I was talking on our last Maximal episode about buying a car. I really am digging right now going through finding like the best deal on a car. And there's something about like numbers and filtering through all that 
that um, it's not that I get excited about it, but I I, I enjoy the process. Now, um, it's not to an unhealthy point where, I mean, this isn't like what I focus on all day, but I can find the joy in that. Uh, Same thing with like upgrading a phone. I mean, I still have like an iPhone 5, so it's, you know, however, however many models old. Is it six models old or no, it's only five models old because they skipped the nine or something, right? Uh, I've got the iPhone nine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so jealous. But, but you know, if I ever do have to upgrade the phone, um, when I get, when I make that purchase as one of the minimalists, I'm still going to get excited about getting that new phone. Um, so I, I think there is a healthy level of excitement. Um, what, uh, what Drew here is doing is he, it sounds like he has an unhealthy level of excitement and what's crazy is that buying the new thing dr- drives that excitement up and he has it and he's like oh man i'm so excited this is great well then that wanes because we all know that when you purchase something it's it's like a it's like a drug high it is temporary it's ephemeral it's going to go away so drew you're chasing you're chasing that excitement feeling so maybe the question to ask drew is what are you chasing yeah, maybe and maybe replacing the excitement with with contentment. MJ, I know that for me, I've had my Toyota now, the current one that I have for maybe what four years or something like that. But um, and I have the same level of contentment with it now that I did when I purchased it. I probably do have less excitement when I when I got it. I get excited when I'm in your car, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but I have the same level of contentment, and so maybe maybe what Drew needs to look for is. Am I going to experience a level of contentment with this? Or quite often, these things that we get excited about, they become the source of our discontent yes. in time. Yes. We, we do something similar at home where we, when the, we have kids, when they say, oh, I want this thing, I'm excited about this thing, we say, okay, we go home, we draft out a list of other things that you are equally excited about. Mm. So when I talk about filling the space and getting excited about that, I'm not saying just stuff, you know, right. filling the space of your time and energy, what... What are you excited about? And sometimes instead of buying the thing, it's as simple as the process of, well, let me build the thing instead. And now it becomes an art project, an experience that we can do together rather than just accumulating a new thing Mm. that we now have to fill in a new gap of excitement for, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and that thing can very well lead to the the discontent. We, We fill our space and then we sit there amidst the clutter and, what have I done? Yeah. And well, what you did is you acted on your excitement. Yeah. And you let the excitement drag you around. But you know what happens when you let excitement uh, make your decisions for you? When you let excitement make your decisions for you, it's like when you blow up a balloon. I love doing this with Ella. We, we play with our little balloons all the time. You blow up a balloon. <laughs> excitement is when you just let it go. You don't tie it off and... All of a sudden, you're purchasing this thing, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you're down here on the floor, and then it's shot back up to the ceiling. You're all over the place. And if excitement leads you, you're not gonna you're not gonna have a direct path toward contentment. Mm-hmm. You're gonna bounce all over the place until you're deflated. Yeah, it's okay to be excited. Um, I don't think it's okay to live for excitement. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, just to reiterate, there are healthy things you can be excited about, Drew. I mean, I get excited about like I get an email. Um, I always bring this up about the soup kitchen because it's like two blocks away and it's like the easiest thing for Ryan and I to go do and contribute towards. But like they'll get an email, oh, the college kids are out of town. We really need help. I'm like, oh, I haven't been there in a while. It's been a few weeks or it's been a few months. I actually look forward to hanging out with those people that we hung out with. I mean, and I, there is a genuine buildup uh, of, of anticipation that happens before that. So again, it's okay to be excited. Just don't live for excitement and find 
healthy things to be excited about. Mm. Mike writes in, how do you handle it when one person in the relationship wants to minimize and the other doesn't? I think first off, you have to realize that there's going to be a certain level of conflict in any relationship, but that doesn't mean that you have to put up a barrier. We talked about being offended builds a fence, right? Mm -hmm. And so the worst thing that you can do is be offended by, well, this person wants to simplify their life or this person doesn't want to simplify. And now all of a sudden I'm offended by that. I I know uh, just this past week, we, um, we, we had these three framed photographs in our dining room of our family. And I, I have, oh, I have really bad OCD. I, <laughs> I hate having things on our wall. I, I, just, I just dislike it. And Bex appreciates that enough that I, I just went to her and I said, hey, I, I really don't want to have any photographs on our wall here. And I know at first her feelings were like, oh, he doesn't want pictures of our family on the wall. <laughs> but she knows how good I treat her and, and Ella, obviously. And so I show it continuously through my actions. And she knows like, no, this isn't a commentary on, well, I don't want our family on the wall. I'm going to replace it with what fam- uh, pictures of podcast Sean and Jordan or something. <laughs> no, like I, I just don't want pictures there. And what I communicated to her is like, this would help me be a bit more calm. This feels calmer to me. This is better to me. And the five most important words in communicating with someone is, would you be willing to? And would you be willing to let me remove these photos, move the plant from here to here, move the bookshelf from here to here? And because I feel like I'll have a, a better sense of calm if we do that. And reluctantly, she said yes, because she supports me. And she knows I go way out of my way in a million different ways to support her in things that really matter to her. And quite often, if it matters to you or if it matters to the person in your life, then you have to be willing to support them. And, and if you are willing to support them, that mean, might mean letting go of, some, of, of a personal preference. And ultimately, if it really meant more to Bex to have those photos on the wall, then I'd have to let go of my personal preference as well. Now, it does help to be on the same page, have the same values as, as the person having similar interests is, is really helpful. Being in the relationship with the right person is also really helpful. If you are surrounding yourself and this includes people in your household, with toxic people, it's going to be really difficult to agree on anything. Or worse, what I realized is sometimes I was the toxic person in the relationship, and I was reacting poorly. I was the one being offended. I was building the fence in, in my own life, and it was difficult to communicate at all because I was treating every conflict as though it was a conflict as opposed to, you know what? we're on the same team, why am I playing against you? Hmm. Now, I'm sure you deal with this in, in your house, MJ. You and your husband probably don't have the same beliefs about every single thing. You don't have the same preferences either. Yeah, well, I think you gotta remember the goal. The goal isn't to have everything your way mm. all the time. My goal is to have a relationship with somebody that I love and enjoy and care about. So um, the conversation is important. And it, I used to dislike the word compromise but you do, you make a compromise because my husband always reminds me, everything you do, you do for yourself. Even if you're doing it to spend time with the family, mm-hmm. you're doing that for yourself because yeah. you want to enjoy the family. So 
don't hold resentment because I did this for you because I'm trying to spend time with you. No, you're trying to you are trying to spend time with them. Mm. You are trying to create a a comfortable, loving home, intentional life together. Yeah. So that conversation is really important. But like you say, setting aside certain things like, you know, if, if the pictures can't go here, well, where can I put them? And sometimes it comes with drawing physical boundaries, right? <laughs> yeah. This is your closet. That's mine. Fill it with whatever you want. Organize it however you want. You know, those sort of things. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no I, I think it's funny. Like, I don't think there's any such thing as a perfect relationship. Uh, if your relationship is easy, like you are one in a million or maybe one in a billion. Um, I have the most ideal partner I've ever had in my life. I mean, you put us on OkCupid's, uh, you know, personality <laughs> tests and we're like a 94% match. I mean, we are like so spot on with each other. But what I've realized There's is 6% that- There's 6% where you don't match. <laughs> right. And what I've realized though is like, for me, it's not about having this perfect relationship because if anything- this this amazing person I'm with shows me how much of an asshole I am. <laughs> like it just how much I my expectations really ruined a lot of my past relationships. And so for me, it's not about having this person in my life where it's frictionless. It's more about having this person in my life that I want to go out of my way to sacrifice some things uh, because I want to be with that person so much. So yeah, it's it's not about having this perfect frictionless easy relationship. It's about being with someone who you, they go so far out of their way to support you that you want to go so far out of your way to support them. And if you can get in that relationship, like that is the sweet spot. So uh, if you want your partner to support you in your minimalism journey, well, guess what you got to do? You got to go out of your way to support your partner in their journey, whatever it may be. And maybe it's not a minimalism journey, but if you do that, then they will absolutely, uh, they will reciprocate. If they don't, which sometimes that happens, well then, you know, there's a different conversation to be had. But if you're going out of your way to show that person respect and love and appreciation, that's all we want out of any relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or uh, with relatives. I mean, that's that's what we want. So if you can do that, then hopefully they will give that back to you. Every relationship you're in should build you up, not tear you down. And there will be times where it is difficult, but guess what? Building a structure is difficult. And so if you're trying to build a relationship with someone, you're part of that building is you, there's going to be the difficult work of, of doing the work to be in a relationship. Now, of course, if the other person is trying to tear you down, then you can have that conversation with them. And, and you can say, hey, look, I, I, I feel attacked or I feel insulted. And I, I don't think that's necessarily your intention, but I just want you to know how I feel right now. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can work together to build something special as opposed to tearing down this relationship. Yeah. We got one more question here from AM. AM asks, what does a minimalist's shopping list look like? Well, first off, if you have a shopping list, you're not a minimalist. <laughs> uh -oh. I have a shopping list. What? <laughs> I, I tell you. Well, Ditch the list. I, I've got my shopping list here, and we can, we can talk about it. But um, so Bex and I have a shared note that we put on our shopping list. Let me see what's on it right now. Um. All right, here we go. White sticky rice, mm. <laughs> blueberries, nice sardines, mm. and that's it. Minimalism. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, what we do is we we build a list and together, and when we go to the store, and this will be frustrating to some folks, but in order to maintain a budget, I think it's really helpful. 
you buy only what is on the list. Even if you forgot some, you're walking down the, the blueberry aisle. Why does your store have an entire aisle of blueberries? <laughs> that sounds magical. Um, it's just the blueberry store. That's every aisle. Yeah. So, so, but you go, you walk past the blueberries and you're like, oh, I, I meant to put this on the list. Nope, can't buy it. So I, that's how I, I deal with uh, staving off the impulse. Mm. And so I have to force myself to put it on the list for next time. And sometimes that's a real pain in the butt. But most of the time, that keep, that prevents me from saying, oh, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and buy that. Nope, it's not on the list. I'm not going to buy it. And so we, we have a, a shared list of things that we need. And my shopping list is always almost always a, a grocery list or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like consumables, paper towels, those types of things. Yeah. What about you, MJ? We have check-ins. So okay. if it's not on the list, we can check in. If it is on the list and I'm like, ah, we don't need this, we check in. And if we don't get a response... It goes on the next week's grocery list. Mm. So super That's efficient. Good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, I, the only thing I'll add is like Mariah and I, we've got like our Amazon list of stuff that, you know, it's because there's always a million things you, you know, you need, a, you know, oh, I've, we need more vitamin D pills. We need more. <laughs> I need an Ethernet cable, like just random little things. So uh, we will just start to add stuff to the cart. And then like, you know, when, once a week, like we'll go to the cart and really go through and kind of really determine whether or not stuff on there is what we actually need. Mm. Speaking of the 2020 rule, Ethernet cable is one of those things that I totally, I need an Ethernet cable now. I got rid of, you know, every time you get internet, they give you Ethernet cables. Yeah. Well, I always get rid of those because I'm like, I'm never going to use these. <laughs> well, sure enough, like I need an Ethernet cable. I'm like, shit, wish I would hold on to that. But guess what? Got it on Amazon for like four bucks. I was say, you just go to the Spectrum and they'll give you one for free. <laughs> <laughs> I needed a 10-foot one. Uh, yeah, so that was really the problem. I had I, such I, a size queen. I know, right? <laughs> I had one I had one that came with it, but it was yeah, it was just like three foot. And three foot's not big enough for me, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> MJ, I want to thank you for being here today. I want to thank you and acknowledge you for doing something meaningful. I want to encourage folks to check out your YouTube channel. They can also find you at mj-gordon.com. Is there anywhere else we should send folks? That's perfect. Cool. MJ-Gordon.com. Say hi. Thank you both so much for having oh, me. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you guys in the audience, too, for being here. So You're awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. We All love right. you, patrons. All right, y'all. <laughs> love people use things. We'll see you next time. See it. The Minimalists. <laughs>